0: Call Lieutenant Commander Queegg. You do solemnly swear that the evidence you shall give in this court shall be the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth shall help you God? I do. State
1: your name, rank, and present position. Philip Francis Queegg, Lieutenant Commander, United States Navy. Temporarily assigned to Commandant, 12th Naval District, awaiting reassignment by Bupers. If you recognize the accused, state as whom? Lieutenant Stephen Merrick, USNR. And Commander Quig,
2: on December 18, 1944, were you in command of the USS Kane?
1: I was. What type of vessel is the Kane? Well, her official designation is High Speed Minesweeper. What she is is a four-piper, one of those flush-deck, 1,200-ton destroyers from World War I, fixed up with minesweeping gear. Oh, an old ship, then. I guess about the oldest type still doing combat duty. And what is her primary mission? That's a hard one. These old buckets are regarded as pretty expendable. By and large, we were doing the usual destroyer duty. Anti-submarine screening also ran the mail, transported Marines, carried aviation gas and torpedoes, gave fire support in minor landings or what have you, also swept mines now and then.
2: Commander, on December 18, 1944, were you relieved of command of the cane? Yes. By whom? By the accused. Was this a regular
1: relief? It was totally irregular, sir. How would you describe it? Well, the most charitable description would be that it was an incident. A regrettable incident of temporary and total collapse of military discipline. Commander, please relate all the facts that bear on this unauthorized relief. Okay. I'll try to do this consecutively here. The cane sortied from Yuthi Atoll on the 16th of December, I believe the 15th or the 16th. We were a screening vessel with a group of fleet oilers. Our mission was to rendezvous with and refuel Admiral Halsey's fast carrier force in the Philippine Sea. Okay. Well, we made the rendezvous and then this typhoon came along. The fueling was broken off and the fleet began to maneuver to evade the storm. Now, the storm was traveling due west, so Admiral Halsey set fleet course due south, and we began to make a run for the safe semicircle. And what was the date and time of that course change? That would be early morning of the 18th, sir. Well, as I say, the storm was pretty bad at this point. Visibility was almost zero. Couldn't see the guide or even the next ship in the screen. We were just steaming blindly through rain and spray. Of course, with the wind and the sea and all, we had to maneuver pretty smartly with engines and rudder to hold fleet course and speed. But we were doing fine. My executive officer, however, pretty early in the game, began to show unusual symptoms of nervousness, and I had yeah, to Yeah, be... what were these symptoms of nervousness? Well, for instance, he began talking very early. Couldn't have been half an hour after the fleet started to run south that we should operate independently and come around north. And why did he want to do that? Well, to give you the picture on that, you see the typhoon was coming at us from the east. We were on the western edge of it. Now, as you know, these blows spin counterclockwise above the equator. That means where we were, the wind was from due north. Admiral Halsey, of course, was running south with the wind to get out of the storm's path. Now, that's in accordance with all existing storm doctrine from Bowditch on up. But my exec insisted that the ship was on the verge of foundering and we'd better come around and head into the wind, that is, north, if we were to survive. And, of course, we weren't in any such bad shape at all, and that's what I mean by nervousness. Well, what was your objection to coming north, as the executive officer suggested? Well, everything was wrong with that idea that could be wrong with it, sir. In the first place, my orders were to proceed south. My mission was screening. My ship was in no danger and was functioning normally. Why, to drop out of station and act independently under those conditions was unthinkable. Coming around to north would have headed the ship directly into the heart of the typhoon. It was not only a senseless suggestion in the circumstances, it was almost suicidal. I might add that I've since checked my decisions of December 18th for the finest ship handlers I know up to the rank of Rear Admiral. They've unanimously agreed that the only course in that situation was south. Commander, your last
2: remark was hearsay evidence, and that is not acceptable. Oh, I'm sorry, sir. I'm not up
1: on these legal distinctions as much as I should be, I guess. A
2: ship-handling expert will be called, Commander, to testify on that
1: point. I see. I'm very glad to know that, sir. Thank you. Uh, proceed with your description of the relief. Okay. Well, it was just that Merrick kept insisting on coming north, more and more stridently as the weather deteriorated. Finally, I began to be a little concerned about him, Then suddenly he walked up to me out of a clear sky, told me I was on the sick list and he was relieving me. To be honest, I couldn't believe my ears and was a little slow in catching on. It was only when he started shouting orders at the officer of the deck and countermanding my instructions to the helm that I began to realize what was going on. Commander, can you recall anything in your
2: own bearing or manner that could have provoked your executive officer's act?
1: Well, truthfully, sir, I cannot. Frankly, I don't think my bearing or manner had anything to do with it. It was a pretty scary situation in the wheelhouse. The wind was forced 10 to 12, screeching and all that. The waves were mountainous. The barometer was about as low as it's ever been in the U.S. Navy history. We took one very bad roll, and I mean a bad one, and I've done a lot of North Atlantic rolling, and I think Merrick simply went into panic. Well, was the cane in grave danger at that moment? I wouldn't say that, no, sir. We righted very nicely from that bad roll. Merrick repeatedly tried to order me off the bridge, but I stayed right where I was. I gave him orders only when it seemed necessary for the safety of the ship. In the situation, I thought the chief hazard was any further acts of frenzy on his part, and to the extent that the cane did come safely through the storm, despite this unprecedented running amuck of my executive officer, I believe my handling of the emergency was the correct one. Did Merrick cite any authority at all when he relieved you? He mumbled something about Article 184. I didn't even catch it at the time. Later, he said his authority was Articles 184, 185, and 186 of the naval regulations. Are
2: you familiar with those articles? Certainly. In substance, what do they provide?
1: Well, as I understand it, they make it possible for an executive officer to take over in an emergency. A highly unusual emergency where the captain is, well, frankly... Were the captains gone absolutely and hopelessly loony. Were those articles properly invoked in your situation? Well, I'm sort of an interested party here. But you won't have to take my word for it. I was successfully conning my ship through a typhoon. Fortunately, there are 130 witnesses to that fact. Every man who was aboard that ship. Uh, there again, sir, you're testifying to the conclusions of others. Sorry. I'm obviously no legal expert. I'll withdraw that last sentence.
2: Have you ever been mentally ill, sir? No, sir. Were you ill in any way when Mr. Merrick relieved you? I was not. Did
1: you warn your executive officer of the consequences of his act? I told him he was performing a mutinous act. And what was his reply? That he expected to be court-martialed, but he was going to retain command anyway. And what was the attitude of Lieutenant Junior Grade Keith, the officer of the deck? He was in a state of panic as bad as Merrick's. And what was the attitude of the helmsman? Stillwell. He was emotionally unbalanced and, for some reason, very devoted to Mr. Keith. They both backed up Merrick. Hmm. Is there anything else, Commander
2: Quig, that you care to state in connection with the events of 18 December aboard the cane?
1: Well, I have thought a lot about it all, of course. It's the gravest occurrence in my career and the only questionable one that I'm aware of. It was an unfortunate freak accident. If the officer of the deck, the OOD, had been anyone but this immature Keith and the helmsman anyone but Stillwell. I don't think it would have happened. A competent officer of the deck would have repudiated Merrick's orders, and a normal sailor at the helm would have disregarded both officers and obeyed me. It was just bad luck. Those three men, Merrick, Keith, and stillwell were combined against me at a crucial time.
0: Bad luck for me, and I'm afraid worse luck for them. The court would like to question the witness. Commander Quig. You have taken all the prescribed physical and mental examinations, incident to entrance to the academy, graduation, commissioning, promotion, and so forth? Yes, sir, for 14 years. Does your medical record contain any history of illness, mental or physical? It does not, sir. My tonsils were removed in the fall of 1938. Have you ever had an unsatisfactory fitness report, Commander Quig?
1: Negative, sir. I have one letter of commendation in my jacket.
0: Now... Commander, can you account for Lieutenant Merrick's opinion that you were mentally ill? Well, that's rather a tough one, sir. Well, I appreciate that, but it might be helpful. Well,
1: sir, I'll have to say that I assumed command of an extremely disorganized and dirty ship. Now, that's no reflection on the officer I relieved. The cane had had a year and a half of the most arduous combat duty. It was understandable. Still, the safety of that ship and its crew demanded its being brought up to snuff. I took many stern measures. Lieutenant Marek, I may say, from the first, didn't see eye to eye with me at all on this idea of making the cane a taut ship again. Maybe he thought I was crazy to keep trying. I guess that's the picture, sir. No more questions.